0: So let me remind some of you we are starting we're in the second week of what is now a five-week series titled believe and the anchor verse for this study came from Luke chapter 1 verse 45 when Mary the mother of Jesus when her cousin Elizabeth looked at her in the eye and said Mary you are blessed above all women because you believed that the Lord would do what he said. And I read that back in December, and it hit me between the eyes. And I thought, I just sensed the Lord say to me, I just want you to believe me, Laura. Above all else, above any act of service you could do, above any prayer you could give, any, anything you could do or sacrifice for me, what delights my heart the most is just that you believe me. And what I mean by that is not just that we believe in Him, because I think we would all agree, well, we, yeah, we believe in We're Christians. We would title ourselves that way. Maybe not all of us, but the majority of us probably would. But the Lord is saying, I want you to take it a step farther. I want you to actually believe me. Take me at my word and believe me. And, and if you remember that word, believe, comes from a Greek word, pistuo, And it means to believe with the conviction that you will act on that belief. So it's to place your trust in something and actions will follow so what it means is I believe it so much that I'm actually going to stop worrying about this thing that I'm worrying about I believe his words so much that I'm actually going to pick up the phone and make the phone call I believe his words so much that I'm actually going to rest in the fact that he's got this thing under control because I think all of us would say yes he's in control but we fret we're like that duck on top of the water that looks really good and underneath are we're just paddling so fast And the Lord is wanting us to experience His rest. And His rest comes when we believe Him. So that's where we are. Last week we went back to the very beginning. We were in Genesis chapter 2 and chapter 3. And we looked at where unbelief came in the picture at the very first time. And that's when Adam and Eve were in the garden and everything was harmonious with the Lord and with each other. Genesis 2.25 if you remember says, And the man and woman were both naked and they were unashamed. If you remember, I said that that word naked doesn't just mean physically naked, but they were vulnerable and exposed, and they felt no shame. They were at peace with God and with each other. And then the enemy approached Eve, disguised as a serpent, and said, did God really say you shouldn't eat from that tree? And Eve knew the word of God. She repeated it right back to him, but she just wasn't convinced about the Word of God. She didn't believe it because Scripture says that the enemy kept saying, oh, you're not going to die if you eat that. It's not that big a deal. And Scripture says, and the woman was convinced and she ate it. Shame enters the picture because sin then enters the picture. And shame is self-hatred at my expense. It's when you feel naked and exposed and it ain't a good feeling. I experienced that this last week. I don't know if I've told you, but my sister, I have a twin sister, Catherine, and we are coaching my daughter and my niece's basketball team. They're both in fourth grade. And y'all, we're coaching it, and it is a sight to behold. Last week, so really, when I say we're coaching, what I mean is Catherine's coaching, and I'm going, you did great! Way to go! You look so cute in that uniform. That's my job. Catherine's job is to actually call the plays. So last week she had a work event and could not be at the game. I know. Yes, gasp because it was awful. So I was head coach and as soon as I got there and had them warming up, you could see their faces and they were like, where's coach Catherine? I was like, she's not here. It's all me. But I'm not kidding. In the moment of that game, as we were down 20 points, I was naked and exposed because I had a sea of parents looking at me and I was like. This is the worst feeling ever, ever. So I called a timeout at one point and I rallied the troops together. I said, okay girls, we gotta work on our defense. And one of the girls said, oh my gosh, I've got the perfect song for defense in the huddle. And I was like, all right, okay. And then I said, okay, second thing we gotta do is we gotta set picks. And I looked at these two little girls, I said, you two gotta set the pick, are you ready? And they're, I said, what did I just say to you? And they're like, set the pick. And I could tell, and I said, do you know what that means? And they're like, no idea. We don't know what that means. So we were just a bunch of ragamuffins, but we were cute with our pigtails. But we did not win. But Coach Catherine was back this week, and we won last night by one point. It was beautiful. But the Lord brought this lesson home to me of what it feels like when you are vulnerable, naked, and exposed, and it ain't a good feeling. And the Lord wants to remove that shame from us. And He does that through the cross of Jesus Christ. So what we're gonna do is after they ate the fruit, they were banished from God's presence because sin had entered the picture. He's a holy God, they were banished from the garden. But God's redemption, His redemptive work was in play and He begins to bring a people group back to Himself And redeem his people. And that's where we're going to pick it up. Because what's interesting is God's sovereign will is in play. And we will see that. But we're not robots. We're not robots. And so if we don't believe him, it impacts our lives. And it impacts the kingdom's work. And the timeliness of the kingdom's work. God is sovereign and he's going to accomplish his purposes. But we have the great privilege of playing a part in it. But if I don't believe him, I get stuck. And I want to see that played out in Scripture today. We are in Genesis chapter 12. If you've got your Bible, turn to that chapter now. We're going to look at 12. We're going to bounce back and forth a little bit. But starting in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 is where we pick up. Now, as you're turning there, let me tell you, This is a passage of Scripture that I've taught several times. I've read it several times. But as I was studying the Bible on my own a couple weeks ago, it just hit me between the eyes some things that I had not yet seen. And it reminded me to to tell y'all and to remind myself that really, honestly, when we read Scripture, y'all, it is like digging for gold. You are on a treasure hunt every time. And if you skim over the surface... You're going to miss what's underneath and it's just a multi-layer experience. And so I can read the same passage of scripture a hundred times and that one time I'm like I never saw that word and that word changed everything. And so let me show you what I'm talking about Genesis chapter 12. The Lord is speaking to Abram later. His name is changed to Abraham. You've probably heard of Abraham and Sarah, his wife. In chapter 12, verse 1, it says, The Lord had said to Abram. Do you all see that? The Lord had said. What does that indicate to you and to me? What? It's past tense. Read it a hundred times, never picked up on it. The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your native country, your relatives and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you, and I will make you into a great nation, I will bless you and I will make you famous and you will be a blessing to others. This is the Lord's redemptive work in play. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt and all the families on the earth will be blessed through you. That's God's promise, not just to Abram, but to me too. And he says, the Lord had said to Abram. So when I read that, I thought that's interesting because every time I've approached this passage, I always think, well, that's the first time Abram's heard his call. That's the first time he knew he had to get up and leave his family and go to a place that God was calling him to. But it's not. I want you to turn back and just a, turn back one chapter to Genesis chapter 11. And we will see at the very end of chapter 11 God speaks to his dad. I mean, we see his dad and his family at play. But let me just read, don't turn to this, but in Acts chapter 7, 1 through 4, Stephen is the first martyr. He's the first person that's killed for his faith in the New Testament. And he preaches a sermon right before he dies. And this is one of the things that he says. He says, brothers and fathers, listen to me. Our glorious God appeared to our ancestor Abraham in Mesopotamia. That's his original homeland before he settled in Haran. This will make sense in a second. Verse 3, it says, God told him, leave your native land and your relatives and come into the land that I will show you. So Abram left the land of the Chaldeans and lived in Haran until his father died. Then God brought him here to the land where you now live. Okay, Genesis 11, 31 is the verse that we're starting at the very end. It says, one day, Terah, T-E-R-A-H. Terah is the dad of Abraham. He's Abram's dad. So one day Terah took his son Abram, his daughter-in-law Sarai, and his grandson Lot, and they moved away from Ur of the Chaldeans, also known as Mesopotamia, his original hometown. They moved away, and listen to this, girls. He was headed for the land of Canaan. The promised land is called the land of Canaan. It's literally the land of Canaan. So when the Lord says, leave your native country to a land I'm going to show you, he's talking about Canaan, the land flowing with milk and honey. And it's in this land that he's going to restore his people and his people will be like a beacon of light for all the world to see. This is what Yahweh looks like. And this is what it looks like when you're in right relationship with Yahweh. There's peace. There's harmony. There's not all this conflict. There's not want for anything. This is what it looks like. You had it in the garden, you didn't believe me. You're banished from the garden. We're working to get back in relationship to each other. So the Lord's call on Abram came in his hometown Ur of the Chaldeans and his dad picked up the family and they started to move toward God's call. Stop there for just a second. How many of us can relate to having heard from God, having a sense that God was calling us to do something different, maybe to start going to church, maybe to start eating better so that we would feel better, maybe to start doing devotions with our kids, maybe to start reading our Bible, maybe to do something that moves us closer to Him. And just like New Year's resolutions, we start out with a lot of vigor. And we head that direction, excited, excited, with fresh hope we've heard from God we're believing God and we set out how many of us can relate to that I'm believing him 2018 is gonna be different I'm believing him I'm starting I'm heading out that's what you're seeing when you see Abrams dad and his brothers and his uh, cousin Lot and his wife Sarah he says one day Terah took his son Abram, his daughter-in-law Sarai, now later their names get changed, and his grandson Lot, and they moved away from their native country to the from Ur of the Chaldeans, and they were headed for the land of Canaan. But watch this. Scripture says, but they stopped in Haran and settled there. And Terah lived for the dad lives for 205 years and died while still in Haran. Now that I had not read before. This strikes me. This is interesting. This is new. So I do all this research in Scripture and in commentaries. Never did God tell them to stop. God did not direct him, stop in Haran. Now I'm going to lead you to Canaan. Now I want you to stop and I want you to settle there and I want you to just wait it out. We never see that. What we do see is what Scripture is clear to tell us. They were headed for Canaan. They stopped, they settled, and eventually died. Three words, stopped, settled, died. Why? Why? Every commentary I can read, points to the same thing that I believe God spoke to me. There was a level of unbelief at play. And just like I've experienced in my own life, I can start strong, believing God. But then all of a sudden I realized this journey is not what I thought it would be. I thought it would be a smoother terrain. I did not think I was going to step on so many rocks and my feet were going to hurt. I did not know that I would be so disappointed by people that my heart would be broken. I didn't anticipate the rejection. I didn't anticipate the silence. I didn't anticipate the difficulty, the loss that I might experience. And somewhere along the way, they stopped, they settled, and eventually died. I want you to be courageous enough to ask yourself today, Lord, where have I stopped? Where am I settling? Where am I dying? I was thinking about this, and I was talking through this this message with Jason, my husband, and he brought up such a great insight that I want to clarify too. He said there's such a difference between waiting and settling. Isn't there? Isn't there? And I started to think about it in my own life. Lord, where have, when have I stopped and settled? And when have I waited? And for me, there was a season in my life when Jason and I got married. And some of you know my story. We wanted to have children right away. And that didn't happen for five years. Lots of doctors, lots of um, things in play there. Lots of sadness, tears. And it was a season of five years that felt like it lasted 50. But it was a season of waiting. And I waited, not perfectly, but I waited well. Why did I wait well? Because I kept pressing into the Lord. When I would get so despairing and so distraught, I would press into Him and it was messy, full of snot, full of tears, anger, frustration, sometimes a clenched fist. Why, Lord? Why not now? Where are you? Do you see me? This is so hard. Make this go away. Answer this prayer, Lord. Change this. That's what waiting looks like. Waiting doesn't look like, this is great. (laughs) God's good all the time. He is good all the time, but I don't feel that way all the time. He is good all the time, but there are times where I don't feel that because I want him to do what I want him to do. But I waited. I pressed in. When I needed conviction, he gave it to me. When I needed comfort, he provided it. I pressed in, but there was another season in my life where I stopped and I settled and I began to die. And it was right after college. And I'd gone to college with my twin sister, my womb mate, and my roommate. So I had never not been with Catherine. And when we graduated, she moved to Philadelphia and I moved to Houston and we grew up in a small town in North Dallas. And I remember moving here and I was like, I, this is no, no, uh-uh. Uh-uh, this is not, I said, Lord, I'll go anywhere, but I did not mean Houston. <laughs> I take it back. <laughs> I remember getting lost all over this town. Oh, it was awful. 6'10", I-10, that. <laughs> and it threw me into such a pit of anxiety. I just felt like I was spiraling out of control because I realized more than I knew that she was really a touchstone and an anchor for me. And that was gone. And I had studied so many scriptures in college and led Bible studies and I was a good, upstanding Christian girl. But I'm telling you, that was all belief in my head. It had not moved down to my guts and I was struggling. And so what did I do? I stopped, stopped, stopped. Now, I still would have checked I'm a Christian on any survey you would have given me. But I stopped going to church. I stopped praying. I stopped reading my Bible. I stopped hanging around with other people that believed in Jesus. I just hung around those people that looked the most fun. And they were. I started going to happy hour. I started dating boys that I shouldn't have dated. I just stopped. And I began to settle. And settling was like, I just don't know if he's trustworthy. Maybe that was just, maybe that was a phase in my life. And here's how I recognized that I was beginning to die. This malcontent issue in my heart kept getting bigger. But I was driving with a coworker one day after lunch, and we were driving back to our offices. We worked downtown. And she was in tears next to me in the car. And she was in tears because she had just ended a relationship, and she was in a lot of pain, and it was brutal. And I remember just, I just felt so bad for her. And somewhere along the way, she heard I was a Christian. And she was not just sharing this with me just so I would pat her on the back. She needed something to hang on to. And I remember looking at her, and there was not one passage of scripture that I could recall. Not one. I could not pull from anything because I was depleted internally. My well was dry because I had stopped, I'd settled, and I was dying on the vine. I was dying. And that was the first wake-up call the Lord gave me to say, come home. Come back home. And I began to move back home and get reconnected with him. And so I tell you that today because I would be foolish to believe that there aren't several of us in the room that relate to that today, that recognize somewhere along the way, life got hard, disappointing, Unexpected curveballs came my way that I didn't deserve. Maybe they came because of my own doing. Doesn't matter. But somewhere along the way, you've stopped. You've stopped in your movement toward Jesus. You've stopped. And you're settling. And you're probably believing the lie. The enemy wants you to believe that it's just not that big a deal. There's really not more to life. He really isn't that faithful. It really is just a belief system, but you're essentially on your own. This is all it'll ever be. Do your best. And I can tell you, if you don't know it or not, you probably already are in touch with it, but you're dying. You're dying. I know what that feels like. I know what that feels like. And so when I read this and I see that Terah stops with his family, didn't just impact him, stops in Haran, settles there, and eventually dies. Something about it when I read that in Scripture it says, and he died while still in Haran. Now here's the thing. They weren't condemned from the Lord's sight. But their life was not what God intended it to be. His best plan for them was not Haran. That wasn't it. Scripture says in Jeremiah 29 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. They're good plans. They're plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a future and a hope. And he doesn't say that means they come without difficulty. He's just saying, if you believe me, you'll begin to see it. You'll see it. And at some point, they stopped. And here's what I liken it to in my mind. They stopped in Haran. And here's what I imagine life was probably like for them. Do y'all drink sodas? If you don't, good for you. Um, (laughs) I do, okay? (laughs) And I didn't give it up for 2018. But I have started, I've tried to stop aspartame, but whatever, it doesn't matter. But here's the thing. Doctor, whatever, it does matter, I'm just saying. Dr. Pepper is my drink of choice. But here's what I love about a Dr. Pepper, is when I go to the movie theater and this one theater that we always go to, they have, for whatever reason, the mix is perfect. And when they bring it to me, I see all those bubbles in it. And it's just fizzy, but if I don't see it, have you ever opened one that's flat and it's like this and there's just no fizz? You see how there's no bubbles? That's just gross. (laughs) That's just sad is what that is. And if I take a sip of one and it's flat like that, you better know I'm sending it back. I can't do it. It's like that That just, it doesn't taste right. There's something about that drink. It was not made to be flat. And that's what I envision Haran to be like for Terah and Abram and Nahor and Lot and Sarai. It was like a flat Dr. Pepper. (laughs) Probably wasn't altogether awful, but it just wasn't the best. It wasn't the best. Now we didn't have a Dr. Pepper, but I used to. This y'all, this used to. I drank Diet Coke for years, and when I was at Marshalls or some store, and they would have a vending or Target, and they have those drinks. That was my big treat for the day, and I'd get one that's really cold, and you get. Do you hear that fizz? And it would just, and you see the ah. There's something so beautiful when you just crack it and there's that fizz, and you know, ah, this is going to be a good one. That's going to be a good one. That's what life with the Lord is meant to be like. It's not easy, girls, but there's a fizz, there's a vitality to it, there's an effervescence, there's life to it. It's not a flat Coke, it's not perfect. But there's life. There's life. Let me give you a quick example. As I've started out in this series, something that I'm doing every day is I'm really pressing into the Lord and spending a lot longer time with Him in the mornings than I had in the past. And I'm sitting there and I want to hear from Him. But what's changing everything for me is I start my time with Him by saying, Lord, I believe that You're going to speak to me today. I just believe you. I believe that you're going to show up. You you tell me, if you'll draw near to me, I'll draw near to you. Open your mouth wide, and I want to fill it. So, Lord, I'm going to believe you. I'm not going to hope and go, "Mm." I'm just going to believe you so I can come in with confidence. And so the other day I was reading Psalm 25, and as I was reading it, it it was beautiful. But I was reading it, and I was so moved by it, and I just sensed the Lord say to me, this is for someone else. This for someone else and I thought okay I don't really know what that means but I'm going to believe God that you're speaking to me so I'm going to kind of tuck that away and I circled it and I kept it right here and about an hour later the phone rings and it was a man that was calling me but he was looking for Jason and it's someone that we know and he's in a really hard season of his life and he's broken and Jason's been counseling with him and meeting with him, and he, was, he couldn't get in touch with Jason, so he was trying to find him, and so he called me. And I just said, how you doing? And he started weeping. And there's something sobering when you, when you hear a grown man that's broken and weeping, and he was so sad. And in that moment, I knew this psalm is for him, and it was perfect. It was exactly where he is, and, and I don't even know where he is fully spiritually. I think he's kind of kicking the tires of it all. But we hung up the phone and I immediately printed that verse. I copied it and I'd sent it in a text to him. And I said, this is for you today. And he sent it back and he said, that is like a tall drink of water. He so needed to know that the Lord saw him. And the Lord didn't just see him. The Lord spoke right into his situation. And he used me to do it because I believed that he was going to speak to me. That's a fizzy Coke. <laughs> That's what that feels like. That's the difference. A flat Coke is, ah, I read it, check, moving on. The whole time I'm reading, I'm thinking about my grocery list. That happens. That happens. We get distracted. But I'm working. I'm disciplining myself and my mind. Believe. Engage with him, Laura. In the little things, life goes from good to great. Not from hard to easy, but from good to great because I am so intimately connected with him. He is life. That's the difference. Terah, Abram, Sarai, Nahor, and Lot stayed in Haran. They stopped, they settled, and eventually Terah died there while still in Haran, while still in Haran. So given that backstory, chapter 12, verse 1 makes more sense to me. So I want to read it again. It says in, verse 12, in chapter 12, verse 1, it says, Now the Lord had said to Abram, What do I love about the Lord? It's never too late, girls. Never too late. You think, I've, man, I'm telling you, in that season of settling for me, I thought, I'm too far from home. I'm too far to, to get back. I don't deserve to come back home. Don't ever. That's a lie from the enemy. I would say to yourself, who told me that? Not God. We can come boldly to the throne having been sprinkled by the blood. Jesus bought. He bought that for me on the cross that I can come home at any time if I have walked away. So he says, Abram, leave your native country, your relatives and your father's family. Now why would he say that? Well, when you research more, you know that Terah was involved in idolatry. They worshipped a lot of other gods. His family, his hometown wasn't as upstanding as we would have wanted it to be. And they, believe, they were one foot out, one foot in. They believed in, but they also believed a whole bunch of other stuff. And so when the Lord says, leave your native country, your relatives and your father's family, He's saying, in order for you to walk with me, it's got to be both feet. And for it to be both feet, you're going to have to pull this foot out from this world of yours that is bringing you down. You've got to cut away. You've got to leave what's native. What does native mean? It means natural, it means most familiar. You've got to leave your native country, your father's family. Did he hate his father's family? No. His father's family did not love the Lord. Abraham could not fulfill his call unless he moved toward the Lord at any cost. Believing God with your whole heart is costly. It's costly. Leave your native family. Is there anything in your native family in which you grew up that might not be beneficial for you to take with you? Is there a pattern of behavior? Do you come from a family of ragers? Is there patterns of addiction all throughout your family line? Is there a pattern of thinking that's just critical, glass half empty all the time that just keeps you stunted? I don't know what it is, but I can tell you we all live in a broken world and so there's probably a whole lot. There have been many things that I've had to leave behind, leave behind, and not just my biological family, relationships that are not good for me. There are things I've had to leave behind in order to press on toward Jesus and with Jesus. It's been costly. This is the thing. I want to be called by God. I think any of us would I don't think any of us would deny that we would long to hear our names called by him. Wouldn't you just love to verbally to hear an audible voice? I'd love it. I'd love to have some crazy, crazy experience like Gabriel coming to Mary. I mean it would be scary, but but just to hear your name called, greetings, favored one. He's already said that to us, y'all. He sent his son to die on the cross so that he could say it to every single one of us, greetings, you are favored. I have plans for you. Come with me. I get to choose, am I going to say yes or not? But to say yes always means there's some things I have to give up. There's some things I have to leave behind. I gave up a corner office downtown with a great salary and a 401k pension plan and helped start a church in a trailer in Sugarland, I gave up a corporate credit card that had a ton of miles on it. <laughs> there are things that we give up in varying degrees but he's saying leave Laura come with me, walk with me and we're gonna do life together and he reminds him I'm gonna make you into a great nation so in verse 4 of chapter 12 it says so Abram departed as the Lord instructed which means he believed the Lord. Later you see in Hebrews 11:8, 8, it says it was by faith that Abram obeyed God when he called him to leave home and go to another land that God would give him as an inheritance. It's by faith. That word faith is uh, pistis, which is like pistuo, which means to believe so much that you're convicted to act. So because Abram believed God, he departed as the Lord instructed and Lot went with him and Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. But here's what's interesting. Before we begin to wrap up. He does what Tara does. Just like his dad, he starts out with vigor. And in chapters, tw- the end of 12, 13, and 14, we won't read it, but all sorts of stuff happens. A famine occurs, suffering. There's marital strife between he and Sarah. He's a coward on more than one occasion. He ducks from the truth. There's a family fallout with Lot. There is struggle. One thing the enemy will do is he will want you and I to bite off onto a lie that if you trust Jesus, if he really loves you, he's going to give you an easy life. An easy life. Why does the enemy want me to believe that? Because as soon as it gets hard, I will abandon my faith. And he's always coming at my faith. Just look at Jesus' life. It wasn't easy, but it was worth it. And he had intimate fellowship with the Father that I longed for. That I longed for. So in chapter 15, here's where we begin to see the distinction made between Terah and Abram. In chapter 15, verse 1, it says, Sometime later, sometime later, after this call comes into his life, and he goes, Oh my goodness. I'm going back home. I'm back in relationship with the Lord. I'm following after Him. Sometime later in chapter 15 verse 1 it says, The Lord spoke to Abram in a vision and said to him, Do not be afraid, Abram, for I will protect you and your reward will be great. The Lord spoke to Abram in a vision because Abram believed him enough to keep walking with him. He didn't stop. He didn't settle. And the Lord said, I'm going to protect you. I will be there in your hardest moments, your most difficult season, your darkest valley. The Lord is there. I have seen the Lord most clearly in the darkest seasons of my life. Martin Luther King Jr., one of his speeches, it's a a recount by his wife actually, that says one night, when they were under all sorts of scrutiny and people were throwing rocks at their home and it was scary, it was getting really scary. Uh, Martin Luther King Jr. was sitting at his kitchen table and he began to pray and he said, Lord, I've got to see you. I've got to know you. I can't go on. And the Lord appeared to him and he got up with a resound that he had not known before. And it's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful recount. The Lord comes to us. He will give us everything we need to finish the call on our lives to just live out this thing with him. Sometime later, he spoke to him, don't be afraid. But here's what I love about Abram. Here's where he begins to cut away from his father. Instead of stopping and settling, he presses into the Lord and he says in verse 2, But Abram replied, Oh, sovereign Lord, what good are all your blessings when I don't even have a son? Since you've given me no children... Eleazar of Damascus, a servant in my household, will have to inherit all of my wealth. You've given me no descendants of my own. That's his heart's cry. That's the pain. That's the thorn. That's the wound. And instead of determining God doesn't care, I'm just going to settle right here. He presses in and says, God, where are you? You haven't given me any descendants. I feel alone in this. He says, so, not, so one of my servants will be my heir. And then, verse 4, the Lord replies to him. He does not reject our doubts. He does not reject our fear. He does not reject our questions. Come to me, all of you who are weak and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. What does rest mean? It may mean a full eight hours of sleep, but typically it means his presence. It's his presence. And you think, okay, okay. It reframes everything. The Lord said to him, no, your servant will not be your heir, for you will have a son of your own who uh, who will be your heir. And then the Lord took Abram outside and said to him, look up into the sky, Abram, and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. You can't even dream big enough, Abram. You can't even dream big enough. In verse 6, girls, this is where it all comes into play. And Abram believed the Lord. And he believed him. And the Lord counted Abram as righteous because of his faith. And the Lord believed Abram. That's what delights the Lord's heart. I know that we are a group of women that want to please the Lord. I just know that we are. We want to please Him, but we get so trapped in a lie that it's all about our behavior. And if I say the right thing, and if I do the right thing, and if I do this enough times, and if I stop doing that, I'm going to please Him. And the Lord is saying, Laura, I just want you to believe me. I just want you to believe me. If you look in the New Testament, the religious leaders are who Jesus said you're whitewashed tombs. You're dead inside because you've stopped, you've settled and you're dying. You're not connected to me. And yet you've never missed church one Sunday in your life. Believe me, believe me. It's much harder to believe him than it is to get into a routine of religion. Believe me. So Abraham believed him and the Lord counted it to him as righteousness. Before we close, If you read in scripture, Abraham's legacy, all of us in this room have a legacy. We all leave a legacy. We all leave a legacy. What is Terah's legacy? Abram's father stopped, settled, started strong, stopped, settled, eventually died while still in Haran. What is Abram's legacy? Let me read it to you for just a second. Romans 420, you don't need to turn there. Abram never wavered in believing God's promise. It doesn't say Abram never stumbled. Abram never made a mistake. He never did stupid things. Abram never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger. And in this, he brought glory to God. Hebrews 11:8 it says, It was by faith that Abraham obeyed God, when God called him to leave his home and go to another land, that God would give him as an inheritance. It was by faith. He believed God. Here's the thing that my children, you, you're not going to hear them say this about me. My mom was a fabulous cook. <laughs> she had a Betty Crocker meal on the table every single night. You're not going to hear them say, my mom was always on top of the laundry. I never had a dirty uniform that I had to wear twice. You're never gonna hear my kids say, I never heard my mom get short with me. I never heard her say a cuss word. I never heard my mom yell. I never heard, they're not gonna say that. Here's what you might hear them say, my mom was funny. We had a lot of fun. And even that is not the legacy that I want to leave. Here's what I want and here's what you want. It doesn't matter if you have children or not. You want those behind you to say, that girl believed God. She believed Him. Woo! Was it messy? (laughs) Was it messy? Oh yeah, but she believed Him. She kept pressing in. She took God at His word. She believed Him. She believed Him. That, my friends, is what happened. When we get to heaven and the Lord says, well done, my good and faithful servant, He's looking for hearts that believe Him that believe Him. It's not easy. It requires us pressing in, engaging with our mind and our heart, actually believing that this is a relationship and not a religion. But when we do, we get Him. We get Him. And it's everything. It's everything. I can't convince you. You can't convince me. It's got to be experienced. You've got to be willing to take the risk and crack this open on your own and go, Lord, I'm just going to believe that you're going to speak to me. And I'm going to keep coming back day after day, night after night, believing you. I'm telling you, if you would do that, you will not be the same woman next year. You will not be the same woman. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we come to you today and we thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that the, we are privileged To have a relationship with you because it costs you everything. To grant it to us for free. And I pray that we would be courageous women that will take you up on it. Lord, I don't want to live my life knowing about you. I want to know you. And I want to believe you so much that I will step out and go with you wherever you lead me. And I want my kids to see a mom that believes you. And I want women in this room to leave legacies of faith behind. Lord, make us courageous women that will believe you. We ask it in Jesus' name for your renown. Amen. Amen, Amen, girls. We'll see you next week.